Shepherding Chaos, the Retail 247 podcast. Embracing change in the world of retail tech. Hello, my name is Martin Schofield. I am the founder and CEO of Retail 247, a retail-focused technology change and solution company. Welcome to the first episode of Shepherding Chaos, a light-hearted but hopefully thought-provoking look at the issues and challenges in the world of retail technology. So, before we start, why Shepherding Chaos? The title is not meant to be insulting. This is, after all, my industry, and I've been part of it for the last 35 years. I've seen the ups and downs, the successes and the failures, and I've had fun along the way. I have, however, come to believe that retail is, by its very nature, relatively chaotic, always looking for the next opportunity, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and never really having the chance to go back to put a manageable framework around often tactical solutions. Leadership, therefore, in my opinion, takes on the role of shepherding, having a clear end game in sight, but getting there by nudging and guiding, and most importantly, by being prepared to course correct on a regular basis. Today, I'm joined by Alan Morris, one of the original founders of Retail Assist, and now a non-exec director of Retail 247. Alan, I thought we'd kick off the first episode with a look at why so many technology projects fail, why expectations are rarely met, and how we could, and should, do better. I guess I've seen for the last, um, well, four months uh, since March, that change is uh, unpredictable. You know, change is uh, a constant that we've seen increase in pace, uh, and frankly, I can only see it continuing. Uh, Customers are also driving that change, how they are prepared to go into a retail environment, what safety measures they expect to be in place, Um, and really retailers are trying to keep ahead of that curve. So Alan, what have you seen over the last few months? How have you seen the pace of change um, move? I believe that the only constant in retail, certainly in my uh, my career, has been the only constant has been change. Every every role I've ever had and every company I've ever been involved with exists purely because of change. If nothing changed, then... You know, it would just be a, a, a maintenance job. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, obviously, over the last four months during the uh, the COVID pan- uh, during the COVID pandemic, everything's changed. It's not just retail that's changed. It's everything's changed. Um, everybody's opinions have changed. The way that we live our everyday life has changed, uh, and it's happened over a very very short period of time. Um, yeah, the sort of things now we take for granted of, of, sort of jumping out of your car, putting a face mask on before you go into a shop. If somebody had said that's what you're going to be doing in August, back in January, you'd have you really wouldn't have, uh, have given that too much uh, too much hit um, credibility as a, as, a, as a statement of fact for the future. But it, but it's happened, and we're used to it, and and it, it's becoming second nature. Um, but. I guess the lesson that we uh, we learn, uh, yeah, you talk about the new normal and people try to guess about what the new normal is going to look like. And, and I think that's really dangerous because the new normal, I think we're going to have this constant refresh of the new normal. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to get to a point where we're now in the new normal. It's going to stay like this for the next five or ten years. Uh, from a retail perspective. The new normal is going to be continually reinvented. And, and whilst I believe... Yeah, there was never a, a, a constant normal in, in retail. Everything changed yeah, back from 1994 when people started buying online through to, you know, how much online traffic it goes through now. Yeah, retail has always been changing. But we're going to have to get used to dealing with change better and more quickly. Yeah, we, we've, we've tried our best as, as technologists in the past to, to accommodate change. Yeah, when 
a retailer has an idea about wanting to do something, yeah, we've we've done projects that try to fill the gap between ex- between what was needed and what you've actually got as quickly as possible. And you know, and I guess going back to the title of this podcast, uh, Shepherding Chaos. Sometimes that's felt a little bit chaotic. Well, we're going to have to find a way of which we could onboard change more quickly and more effectively with the mindset knowing that we're not going to get through a project and then fine, we've got a period of calm on the other end of it because it's going to be a perpetual uh, motion. It's going to be like, you know, if you compare it to a lift, it's a paternoster. Yeah, it never stops. Yeah, it's just, you know, it just arrives at the floor and then it moves on. And if you don't get on, you know, you miss it. And if you don't get off, you stay on. And, you know, we, we've got to, uh, we've got to find ways of working which, which, which improve that. Indeed. And I guess, I guess my only comment to that is we've said that a lot over our careers. You know, we've constantly looked at the way to deliver projects better. And yet here we are, you know, X decades later, talking about why projects fail and why we never meet the expectation of the users we're trying to deliver to. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of, there's a few reasons for that. Um, in terms of um, the expectation level, you know, why we don't meet the expectation level. When, we, when a retailer starts a project, you know, the, the reason they start a project is there's a gap in the uh, capability of that retailer to, be able to do something they need to do. So you know, there's the whole uh, setting of the expectation about what we're going to do. So the expectation goes very high at the beginning of the project about what's going to be delivered. And then over the project life cycle, that expectation is chipped away at because, yeah, we get to the point where we uh, we do discovery and we find that actually, in that respect, maybe the expectation goes up because we find other things that we want to do. And then we start to get into the nitty gritty of the project. Um, we start doing the project planning. We look at how much time we've got and how much money we've got. And maybe we have to cut back a little bit on what that expectation, uh, on what we're going to deliver just to fit it in. And then we go through the first phase of development and we realise that actually it's a little bit tougher than it was. So we reduce the scope of the uh, deliverable. And, and then every step through the project somehow reduces the scope of the deliverable until we get to near the end and we go into the implementation phase and we talk about, well, what can we get implemented now with the budget we've got and the time we've got left? And again, it gets reduced even further. So... Whose fault do you think that, Alan, whose who's fault do you think that is? So this is a constant conundrum between the IT function and the user base or the supplier and the customer. I know my personal view is that IT, you know, done well, should be taking a lead in these matters, should should be prepared to challenge the, the norm and and talk about how things should be. Users have a relatively siloed view of their own and domain, their own departments, and really a good IT function to, should take that, you know, to use the cliched word, holistic view of an end-to-end process. I think there's, uh, the, the, there's, fault to be, uh, there's fault to be had um, on the, uh, both the project delivery side and the, and the, user, uh, the user side. And if I come to the project delivery side first, yeah, Tech, uh, technology, the, the technology department, the IT department are probably the area of the business who are most likely to be experienced in project management. So, um, so therefore, yeah, in all aspects of project management. So technically, we should be able to deliver uh, a project within time and within, uh, within budget. Yeah, but it's the expectation and the scope, the scope well, of that project we're talking about. I, mean, I, I, guess, think, I guess my response to that is that people don't always know what they want until they see what they can have. Well, I think that's the, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the point I was going to come to. Yeah, it's very hard um, to, 
as a business analyst, I know because I was one, yeah, to actually find out exactly what the users want when actually they don't really know what they want. And yeah, that, that might sound, you know, some people would argue with that and say, well, yeah, we do know what we want, but actually you don't know specifically what you want, but actually the IT... And, and nor, nor do they know the, the capabilities of technology and what technology well, can deliver. So that's, that's, that's our job, I guess. I think yeah, well that that's part of the that's part of the uh, the way that IT departments fail is we don't always um, we, we tend to be we receive information we don't necessarily give a great deal out so we don't challenge we don't challenge user requirements enough uh, we don't give a broader view about what's going on in the market enough we don't give our opinion because given the fact that the IT department does have um, a a holistic view of, of the business of all the areas of the process probably one area of the business that actually understands how the whole thing links together but we don't challenge what we're being asked of enough but i think there's also another point here and i think this is something that's probably more uh, is increasingly relevant that when you ask somebody for a requirement for a large-scale project how on earth could they give you a, uh, a set of requirements for a project that's going to be delivered in 12, 18 or 24 months time with yeah, any honesty to know that that is what's going to be required at that point in the future. Yeah, things change. We've, we've just been talking about how quickly things change and then that's going to continue to be the case. I think the days of the large project um, to deliver um, functionality that's needed now to improve a customer engagement for example the idea of a large project to do that I, I think those days are dead yeah we've got to find a way in which we can build an infrastructure that enables us to do short projects that don't necessarily have a start and middle and an end it's a continual process of of re-engineering certain parts of the uh, of the application and systems infrastructure yeah, I can completely agree. I think I just add to that slightly in that the, the expectation I mentioned earlier of, of user-driven functionality, I suppose, you know, what, what payment app or, or client's app, the, the mass populace is using at any one time, almost drives the need for technology adoption. Um, and therefore, by definition, some of these apps are very transient and, and almost disposable. So the retailers need to keep pace with those changes is ever increasing. So I think we need to get to a, a two-tier proposition, one where we focus back on you know, the core of retail, the, the baked building blocks of products and customer and products and price. Um, um, get those in place, get those to be robust, reliable, visible and accurate. Uh, and then really just for the rest of the game, acknowledge the fact that, you know, we're going to have to develop things quickly uh, and potentially uh, ditch them and rewrite them again, depending on customer opinion. I think you're absolutely spot on. And the idea of actually the, the two-tier approach to systems and um, and the way they should be deployed is, is probably something that every retailer should think about. You, know, you almost want a team of people who are on tier one, which is the infrastructure layer, the product, the price, the customer and the inventory layer, and then your team who are working in the uh, in the customer engagement and uh, uh, area where apps come in and go out very very quickly and yeah where there's a completely different set of thinking by by not just the IT department but also by the business by the finance department who are cost justifying by the users who are using the apps yeah we are constantly going to be evolving that layer of the uh, of the application infrastructure and and I guess. Yeah, that, that brings us on to um, 
although we, we could we really should discuss this in another uh, podcast the difference between uh, breast and breed and all-in-one solutions yeah um because in my in my opinion and i say i'm not you know, suggesting we discuss this now because this is a very meaty topic and uh, and slightly different from where we're going but yeah this type of uh, two-tier um approach to systems management systems deployment is actually lends itself more to best of breed where you really do have the uh, you know, the infrastructure provided but then on top of that you will use applications from sometimes some very small vendors that make a very big difference for a very short period of time so about right so martin we've, we've just been talking about the fact that you know things don't work and and i think you know one thing i've uh, I got slightly frustrated with during the last four months is the number of people who just keep saying that's not working, that's not working, that's not working, and and, it, and it's constant stream of that doesn't work, that doesn't work. You know what? Uh, what I haven't seen so much of is people who say, well, what about that? What about trying this? What about trying that? So, given what we've just said doesn't work, what, in your opinion, with your experience, if you were now back on the uh, the retail side? How would you structure your IT department or your business to accommodate change and deal with projects better? Uh, ooh, multiple questions in there, Alan. Thanks. Um, okay. I guess. Sorry. I guess looking back, and I do think about this sometimes. You know, where where my successes have been and where the I can use the word failures, but where the ones that are less successful have been um, are where we have maybe subconsciously, but we've acknowledged that that the delivery of a project is very flexible. Um, and in a retail world, we can just try things, we can get things done. So for example, in the oh, in the 90s, we delivered the wedding gift solution for Debenhams. The first, the first time we'd used customer-facing kiosks, the first time we'd used customer self-scan. Uh, and these things evolved as the project developed. We didn't set out and spec them to the nth degree before we started. We, we delivered a pilot, um, we trialed it in the store. We looked at how customers interacted with those solutions and we changed and we thought on our feet. And I guess retail versus other industries allows us to do that. I mean, you couldn't do it if you're building this, uh, you know, a rocket or the space shuttle, but in retail, we can try things if we've got an infrastructure in place that allows us to, to do so. Um, so that's one thing I'd do. I'd make sure that we acknowledge that projects are flexible. I wouldn't over governance. Uh, I, the, the word governance, to a certain extent, I found quite um, hard. You know, I prefer to operate with a framework, a framework that acknowledges that things change. Governance just implies lots of meetings and lots of talking, and and you know, there's a sort of comfort blanket going on that says if we're talking and we've got 20 people in the room, then the project must be on on track. We can wave a Gantt chart around and everything's fine. And in reality, it's not because you've got, as you said earlier. You know, a proportion of the users who don't like change anyway, um, who've already decided that what we're going to deliver isn't going to meet their needs. And we've got a, a, a customer uh, community, our end customers, who have probably moved on to the next app and have probably moved on to the next exciting thing that some of the retailers are offering. So I guess the projects in summary that have been successful in my career have been those that have evolved rather than strictly and robustly delivered. Yeah. So, so I think, going back to your point you made earlier, it's about incremental change, small chunks that are manageable, rapidly deliverable, um, and it can be got out there and, and field tested. Now, to support that, I think you asked me how, um, you know, I'd, I'd look at an IT function. 
I got a couple of views on that. Um, you know, you, you, you get some IT functions that are basically the people that fix the PCs that make the network uh, operate and tell you to reboot your PC. Now, that's a, a vital role. But equally, what we're talking about here is a, a, a business embracing IT function. Um, and you have to be prepared to take that holistic view to, to enlarge the fact that you're one of the few departments that understands how the business operates end to end. Actually, ticking myself off there. Um, I, I hate the phrase IT and the business. You know, yeah. IT is fundamentally part of the business and, and increasingly so. So, but we are one of the functions that done correctly could see all business functions and how they interoperate. Therefore, you know, why wouldn't you be prepared to challenge and, and put in place um, thoughts for how the business can expand? Um, I think, what I think, I think people are individuals. Um, you know, there's no rule book around who you should talk to and who you should engage for any particular project. Um, stakeholders will vary function to function and business to business. You've got to find the right individuals who have an interest and in who you can work with to deliver what's actually needed rather than what's thought of as required. So, yeah, I think there's some, hopefully some points in there, Alan. What can you contribute? I, I, I agree. I, well, very little other than the fact I agree with you, I guess. Um, <laughs> the, I think it, what's... And it, you, you alluded to this, and it's certainly something that I felt, is that you know, people see IT and the business... Yeah, the the business talk about the business as one community and IT is almost an extension of that. And actually, the IT department talks about itself as the IT department and the business or whatever the IT department decides to... Uh, and I guess that can be viewed as being subservient or, or, or being aloof, one of the two, and well, both are equally in, bad. In my, in my, first, uh, my first role at, uh, at Foster's, the IT department was, it was a big building in Solihull. The IT department was the end of a uh, half a mile long uh, concrete corridor that couldn't be further away from the business. And um, when, I was, uh, when I was approached to join the IT department, the challenge, the, the challenge that we were given was, we feel too remote from the business. And you think, well, physically you're remote. There's a load of concrete and dark uh, corridors between us and the uh, us and the business. And actually, yeah, there is nobody in the IT department who understands anything about how the company works. We understand how to keep the systems going, the mainframe, and uh, and so forth. But of course, in those days, IT was a small part of what retailers did. It made things more efficient, and and it helped in certain areas. But nowadays technology is so interwoven with how a retailer works it's like how can you possibly uh, yeah marketing uh, sales it's all about it's all about technology technology has got a massive part to play and and i think that it's almost like we need retailers need to rethink about how they're structured and this is not just about how it interlate, how it relates to uh, to technology it's probably about how it relates to other areas of the business with the chat multiple channels but in particular i think that the technologists should be sat side by side in a multi-discipline team with the merchandisers with the logistics people with the retail ops people where actually they are part of that team so they get to know the operation a lot better get to know how things are working a lot better they can share ideas 
the technologies could share ideas with the business with the I can't do it myself now I'm too conditioned with the business I was going to say but with their with their colleagues with their peers who might be merchandisers or might be um, retail ops people or marketeers or whichever area of, uh, of the company they're operating in sharing ideas so you've got this constant connect between the technology and what the business is trying to achieve I there are too many um, the number of times when I've spoken to uh, to, to um, IT directors about their um, IT strategy, and you talk about their IT strategy. So, what is your IT strategy? And I think sometimes people misunderstand what what a strategy is. To me, a strategy is a way of getting from where you are now to where you need to be. Where you need to be is where the vision for the company is, and and therefore, if the vision for the company needs to include every aspect of its operation closely woven together, where every move that something makes that it's balanced off by another area, and and everybody contributes together in a in a constant thing you can't have a technology strategy that has got no bearing on the business strategy but you can't truly have a a combined strategy unless everybody's working together as one team yeah and i actually prefer the word vision to strategy strategy to me implies you know, rigidity and I know this is maybe wrong just in my head but rigidity and and you know this is the path we must follow it regardless whereas vision i'd like to set and then, and then, you know, projects we do because of the environment will will sometimes vary from that strategy, from that bit of vision. But I think as long as we're gently heading in the right direction, uh, as long as everything we do, every decision we make, we take consciously with its contribution to that vision. You know, there's nothing wrong with being tactically strategic. If you like, you know, we we can take short term um, we can take short term actions that either head us in that direction or consciously head us in a slightly different direction for a short period of time. You've got to, uh, yeah. I mean, well, the, the idea of um, the idea of having a, a strategy that you never deviate from to uh, is 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 completely flawed because how could you possibly uh, accommodate uh, changes like we've had over the last four yeah, months? Yeah, indeed. We're not doing this; it's not strategic. But no, vision is, is vital. Vision is vital in any business, you know, regardless of whether it's a retailer or, or any any company, any organisation. Yeah, and, and that vision and, and that vision will evolve depending on environment, circumstance, and, and capability. It will. But going back to um, what we were saying about better definition of requirements, yeah, it's. It's very easy with the amount of technology that's going on at the moment to think, yeah, this technology does, we need that. Well, actually, does it tie up with what you're trying to do as a business? You know, part of the vision for retail would be, you know, how do we want to interact with our customers? What type of relationship do we want? And then the type of relationship you want, how you deliver that relationship will change as new technologies come available and, and different ways of interaction. But fundamentally, yeah, that 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 link up is still going to be the same. You know, if you're a um, if you're a retailer where it's all about price and, and you don't really need that closeness with the customer, it's just a case of people come in to buy from you because you've got products that are significant at a price point that makes them so appealing and attractive to customers then you don't really need to coax them through the door but if you're selling a luxury branded item or somewhere in between the two you perhaps do you know where there's more competition where your price point isn't radically lower than anybody else's where there is you know you've got to build a personal bond well how you build that personal bond if that's your vision that we want to be on first name terms with our customers then great that's your vision how you maintain that 
will keep changing as new technologies become available. And yeah, that, that's 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 what we're going to have to uh, keep uh, keep track with. And and traditional projects where we're setting off on a an improved customer engagement project for the next two years. Well, I'm sorry, but nobody knows what the customer engagement uh, yeah, technology is going to be in two years' time. Yeah, we we really should be looking at. Well, if we've got the infrastructure, well, I mean, yeah. The mere fact we're doing this, uh, our first podcast via Zoom, and I apologise to the audience for the potential poor quality of the audio. You know, the fact that we're second nature to use Zoom for most of our daily meetings and indeed for this recording, uh, you know, it's, it's very indicative of, of current life. Yeah, the, the future is inventing itself before us, isn't it? Really, you know, the, we can't. Um, I don't believe there's any futurologist who could actually tell us exactly what the future is going to be. I mean, if somebody could tell us what to buy and when to buy it and when to implement it and then when to de-implement it now for the next two years, you know, if somebody could actually do that, that would be fantastic. But I haven't actually, uh, and I do read a lot of uh, people uh, prophesy, prophesizing um, about what is going to happen. But yeah, I, I go back to the uh, when I mentioned in 1994 when there were so-called uh, experts in the field who were telling me that, uh, telling anybody who would listen, that even though um, the first item had been sold on the internet, Sting's album, Ten Summoners Tales, the first item sold in 1994, that actually the only things that were ever going to transact on the internet were books and CDs and things that could go through people's letterbox. Yeah, the idea about people buying fashion on the internet is just never going to happen because, you know, how how could it possibly happen? People love to go shopping. People like to go to shop, shopping centres. Yeah, they're quite. You know, it's, it's easy to say that 1994 was a, a long time ago. And and I, and I guess, yeah, for people um, people over the age of, under the age of 30, it probably does seem like a long time ago, but it isn't that long ago. And you look at the degree of change that's taken place. So, I think we've got to stop trying to second guess what the technologies are and, and sort of saying, is our technology future proofed? And say more, you know, how are we dealing with change? Is how we're dealing with change future proof? And, and I don't just mean let's find a new project management methodology because one project management methodology is pretty much the same as the others. I mean, some of them are, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I've been through several. Yeah, are, are, yeah they're, they're good. They can prototype and so forth. But actually we need to find a different way it's not necessarily the project delivery mechanism that's that's always wrong it's actually how we get to the point of actually having something to deliver and you know where there's a misunderstanding about what the requirement is or a misunderstanding about what the deliver what the deliverable was going to be if yeah it's, it's an attitude and approach isn't it it's an attitude yes. and approach it's, it's an embracing of change um, people have got to work people have got to work together more closely the business has got to be the business fully incorporated. Yeah, if you look at yeah, if you look at uh, ASOS, <clears throat> yeah, ASOS are, are, are fundamentally a uh, technology business. That they, techn without technology, they wouldn't exist. Yeah, they just have to retail around the technology platform. Acardo, the same. Boohoo, the same. Yeah, but traditional retail still has got this thing about technology being on a separate island to the business. We've got to we've got to break that down. Everybody's got to live on the same island together. Yeah, let's go back. Um, we talked <clears throat> briefly um, early on about you know long term projects, ERP delivery projects, if you like. Uh, ERP is often a good solution if you're, if you're starting from scratch or you've got a, like, an opportunity for a complete overhaul. Um, but I've seen so many sort of alleged upgrade projects or, or you know new vision projects that are going to do this end to end ERP delivery. Um, that you know, 
the, the project plan is slated for years and measured in years, um, and inevitably they come crashing down um, sometime during that process. Now, uh, I, it's my belief that anything measured in years is just too long these days um, and, and inevitably too expensive. You know, retailers have to get value and have to keep pace with that, the changes going on around them. We've, we've all, well, we've definitely both, I know we have, we've both been involved in projects that have been over multiple years and, um, you know, did they, did they succeed or did they fail? Well, you know, we could, uh, we could, and we, we work in an industry that loves giving itself awards and, um, you know, <laughs> we've, we've seen awards won where projects have been delivered on time and within budget, but actually, to be honest, it doesn't really... On time and in budget is almost a hygiene factor, a given that, you know, if, you, if you're going to say it's going to take this long and this is the budget, then that's what you should deliver. But really, the acid test for me is, did it deliver the benefit? You know, I, I remember when I first, uh, first was in training and you know, we did the cost-benefit analysis. You know, it's going to cost this much, but it's going to make this much every year. So after year two, it's paid for itself and it starts to reap uh, massive dividends in years four, five, and six. Well, yeah, those days are uh, those those days are, are gone completely because there's nothing we can implement today that's going to be still here in, in six years. And, and well, I, yeah, actually, I agree. Unless we get back to the point we made earlier about putting in place this sound foundation that enables that future. So the effort I've been putting in is to actually, if I make a sub point. Um, I've also seen in these large projects and, and any project we start on these days, an increasing amount of the cost and time and effort and ultimately confusion and chaos is around, you know, integration um, and integration of migration and integration of, of a plethora of legacy solutions that are, are a collection of roadblocks, if you like, rather than actually any systems that are providing benefit and contributing to how we operate. So I guess I'd be focusing my effort on, on going back to sort out the foundation to say, actually, okay, let's, let's look at all these, these legacy systems we have. We haven't got the cash, time, effort, inclination to repair them all at once, but let's look at consolidating and getting real, strong, accurate visibility of those core foundation elements. I think if those core foundation elements, and yeah, we've mentioned them before, but, but, the, but, the, uh, but the product, the price, the customer, and the inventory, if you don't get those right, then the customer engagement apps that will sit on the top that look that are supposed to provide the uh, the real fizz to the proposition won't won't because you know it's all very well saying we've got an app here that the customer can download and we've got a clienteling device that can we, we can chat to the customer about the products they want to buy but actually if the product descriptions are wrong the prices are wrong the inventory is wrong and we've got the customer's name wrong then to be fair it's it's absolutely a pointless exercise There's no yeah we talk about we talk about omni-channel we talk about omni-channel and, and you know every retailer wants to be omni-channel capable but if you're operating on a uh, a set of systems that you know you have to scratch together a stock position, or, or worse than that, and we'll talk about that probably in the forecast. You've got a podcast, you've got a stock accuracy level measured in the 60s percent wise. Then, then you know, almost what's the point? You're making a promise to the customer without a, a conscious ability to deliver it. You uh, you made a point earlier about the uh, about projects and uh, just how. Um, yeah, with governance and, and how, and, and I was, my, my mind was going down a line of, yeah, we can have the perfect project, but actually the reality is that retail moves so quickly that by and large, I think retail uh, solutions, 
if they, they, they need to, if they're approximately right, it's better than being precisely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's the project. But actually, when it comes down to stock, uh, things like stock figures and price, they have to be exactly right. Yeah, there's, I, I had a, a shopping experience um, last year. I went to buy a sofa from a well-known department store and they gave, they, they were looking, at, they had it in stock and the person that was, um, that was uh, dealing with me said, we've got four different stock numbers for this item and they're all different. And I said, well, which one's right? And she said, I don't know which one's right. So yeah. she said, I'll pull through the order on the first one and see what happens. And it came up and said, we can't fulfill the order. By the time she got to the third one, they said, we can fulfill the order. And I thought, crikey, that is... that that's Yeah, optimistic at best. On, on one hand, you'd say, yeah, it, it, I was with my wife at the time, who's obviously never worked in... She had worked in retail technology. And she said to me afterwards, that's great customer service, wasn't it? And I said, no. I said it was it was nice customer service because the person who dealt with me was excellent. Yeah, she was really yeah very helpful, very accommodating, very pleasant. But actually, I felt frustrated that she didn't just she couldn't go and look at the screen and say yes, we've got some in stock, and this is the order number, and the price is right, descriptions are right, and the stock's right. Yeah. and that's that's Indeed. because yeah this 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 particular this company had yeah she had it on her. Um, she had it on an iPhone or other, other mobile This is one of the partners, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, uh, and you're just looking at the, at the screen. You say, this is a great little, yeah, it's a great little app. It's really useful for the person to have it in their pocket. But actually, the information they had available was inconsistent and, and in some cases wrong. So you can't, moving on to your, or moving back to your two-tier uh, approach, tier one, the foundation layer, is absolutely vital and and will and will determine the success of tier two which is the customer engagement layer because if you have a if you just can't provide that that data through in a uh, in a consistent and accurate format the rest of it is a complete waste of time yes sorry i just said no no i was just gonna say your, your experience there you know it sounds obvious but it isn't unusual i've been into a number of retailers where Again, you can see how they've got to that position and I've worked in the environments and probably caused some of this myself. You, you make decisions at any, any point in time, they're the best decisions you can make um, and you're, you're forced to hit timescales that the retailer wants you to hit. But actually, you end up with creating a spaghetti layer of, of legacy chaos and, and you know, the number of retailers I've been to that don't have one, one stock position, don't have one sales position, you know, chances are the customers are splattered around all that information, those, those legacy solutions as well. You know, if we sat back and said, you know, we got some senior retailers and said, what do you need most? Well, it would be that. It would be, you know, what's my stock? Who are my customers? Where is that stock? Um, what's, what's the product information about it? And how much are we going to sell it for? It, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science, and you're, you're right. And, and, and this goes back to, we mentioned vision. If you've got a vision that you want to be able to have this type of relationship with your customer, then it, out of that falls some prerequisites, and the prerequisites go down to the fact you've got to be able to provide consistent and accurate data to feed the systems. Um, because it's not, it's not rocket science. And I, I think the, um, sometimes we talk about innovation and businesses need to be more innovative and look how innovative this particular business is because you look at their technology and think, wow, that is really quite sort of, yeah, um, 
NASA grade technology. But for most retailers, you could get the the more yeah a very simplistic thing that isn't rocket science that yeah if you excuse the cliche could still fly you to the moon yeah in terms of customer uh, customer customer engagement because it is simple stuff and it is just getting the right data making the right data available in a timely and efficient manner so that when I look at the iPad and uh, or, or the uh, the clientele device yeah you take for granted that the information it's providing you is correct. Yeah, no, and, and yeah, customer service is about offering and, and making customer promise. You can't make customer promise when you don't have the information to make that promise with. No. So yeah, it's it's basic. So going back to uh, you know, our going back onto the uh, the thread of our uh, our view about our projects, yeah. loose uh, thread, project yeah. management. Yeah, our loose thread. Yeah. How given everything we said is is valid, and, and again, and this ties up perfectly with with the chaos because you could close your eyes and you can see all these people running around and it just looks slightly chaotic but yeah it, there is a certain beautiful symmetry about retail that although it's chaotic if you actually get it right then it can be it can be excellent and it can be excellent for a period of time there's no retailer i don't think um that is going to be and has been top top uh, top of their game forever they're always number one you know i remember as a child my mum would only ever buy from marks and spencers because they were they were a top retailer well yeah that's uh, that's that's, that's uh, not the yeah, that's not the case anymore yeah and other businesses which have you know have been and gone and, and other businesses now which are shining brightly as yeah bright stars in the sky but their, their time will go they'll fade and they'll fade because they don't change quickly enough they're not innovative they're not reinventing themselves you know they're not reinventing themselves quickly enough well if you've got to do that so it's not, then we have to find a way of making technology projects uh, work in such a way that uh, that retailers can continually reinvent themselves you know, to stay relevant to the market and as, as their as their customer changes as, as newer customers come in that they're still relevant to a changing set of requirements if, if technology projects aren't deployed more uh, aren't deployed better then the opportunity is going to be lost yeah and uh, and as we started off this this view it's only going to get worse or, or if worse is the right word you know the next generation is used to is used to um the likes of Snapchat and the likes of Facebook and the likes of all these other social media platforms that have come and gone and grown hugely. Um, you know, Snapchat, one of them, I read some stat of the day, it loses two million pounds a day. Uh, and, you know, it's worth, when it floated, what was it, $22 billion. How, yeah. how is, A, how is that possible? And that's probably for no discussion. Um, but equally, the, the, the youth of today, who are the customers of tomorrow, use it on a, you know, multiple times a day for everything okay. from communication to, to, to buying, to, to locating their friends and seeing where they are. And if those sort of um, mammoth organisations can come in our lifetime, not, not in our lifetime, just in the last few years, um, then then what does the future hold? Uh, yeah, and it, it, it's, okay, yeah, younger generations have always been uh, more uh, more accepting of, uh, of, of, of technology to begin with, but it is actually going up the, uh, up the um, across the uh, different age uh, age groups, as well, especially and again with the with the COVID crisis, yeah. In um, you go to a, a restaurant or a pub uh, now, and 
you can't approach the bar anymore. You have to download the app and you have to order your foods and drinks from your phone and you pay on your phone. So the only interaction you've got with the people who work in the environment and the establishment are when they bring your food or drinks to you. Well, yeah, it's not just the, uh, it's not just our children's generation of doing that. Yeah, we're doing it. And, and I've always been a, I'm a, a bit of a gadget freak. I try every new type of, technology because it just yeah, me uh, interests me but but even people who don't you know who, who aren't openly interested in technology will use it as a matter of course because that is now the new normal about how people interact so yeah the um the the the, the use of technology is uh, is is far far reaching yeah, I'm just going to a slight segue here. I might bring it back. Well, time will tell. Um, but you mentioned that you know, the new norm is, is wearing a face mask, queuing, going to the bar, only interacting with the customer in pubs, etc. I, I find that so variable. Uh, the number of pubs and restaurants and establishments I've been to over the last few weeks, some feel completely normal. You know, there's a vague gesture at distancing, but not a huge amount. Some make you scan a, a barcode on the table to get a menu on your phone, and then and they lean over you with the glass and the, and the cutlery. Um, so one I went to the other week was felt like I was in a hospital queue before there were plastic screens erected around each table, and it was like completely atmosphere free. So, so, so I guess what I'm loosely my point I'm making there is that the adoption of new standards. It's interpretive and, and it's very variable between organisations. Well, and those, that's just another layer of change, the adoption of change. I'd like to shy away from, or not, not shy away from the new normal for that, for the definition of people wearing yeah. face masks. But I think that that's the current normal as opposed to the new normal, because hopefully that's, that's tomorrow. Last for, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that won't last forever because, yeah, no, nobody, uh, I don't think anybody, uh, Anybody particularly uh, enjoys uh, enjoys wearing a face mask? I, I, yeah, although you, it's a necessary uh, it's a it's a necessary thing at the moment because you know, obviously trying to uh, reduce the uh, the spread of uh, of the virus. There's going to have to come a time when that's not the case. I can't believe that people are just going to accept that and we're all going to continue to wear masks forever. Although saying that. Okay. I, I, I'm saying I can't believe that's going to happen. If you said to me in January, we were wearing a face mask now to uh, to stop at the service area on the uh, on the M1 to uh, fill up with petrol, like I did last night, I wouldn't have thought that was going to be normal either. So I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's definitely not going to happen. I just like to think it's it's not. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we've. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, as I say, yeah, that's what it's pretty a good note to uh, to conclude on. I guess this time around, and I guess we'll bring this first episode to a close. Um, yeah. So, uh, in, in summary, I think we said that we must strive for a business-engaged IT function that's not afraid to lead and to challenge, and welcomes and embraces the flexible approach to project delivery, and it's that flexible approach that will guarantee success for the future. Um, but we've got to support this um, this with a technology architecture that also embraces flexibility and uncertainty, and empowers us on the journey to sustainable change. So, I guess I'll thanks for today. Um, yeah. See you next time on Chevy Chaos, and hopefully yeah. we'll have. Uh, We'll be face-to-face at some point in the not-too-distant future and improve our recording quality. Absolutely. Okay, cheers, Martin. Shepherding Chaos, the Retail 247 podcast. Join us next time for more tech views and insights from the people who know.